Hi, I'm Dale Sherbeck, and welcome to the HQ, a CHA Learning and Healthcare Can podcast serial where we dive into healthcare issues and topics from the perspective of its people and discuss them with those that are leading in the health system. Together, we'll try to unpack those topics and learn what actions are being taken to innovatively solve them today. Many of you have heard or even utilized an employee assistance program, often expanded to employee and family assistance programs, or EFAPs. The first incarnations of these came along in the 1930s, yes, some 90 years ago during the Great Depression, the so-called Dirty Thirties. Because it was an era that also ushered in an end to prohibition, so why then? Because it was a time of great social strain, stress, and change, and a time of great anxiety and mental unhealth, much like our current day. Add in the re-emergence of alcohol, and these programs were developed to deal with the very real issues of the day and were among the first substance abuse programs in our corporate business culture, all with an intended goal to improve productivity. EFAPs have changed a lot over the years, responding to changes in our corporate and social policies, often as a result of other historical events, which were often other crises like war or even 9-11. In sum, as any of us can quickly Google, as I did, EFAPs today can be defined as a policy that focuses on the care and employment of the employees of a company with a goal to ensure that the employees are at their optimal mental and physical capacity to provide an efficient, productive, and safe work environment for everyone. Fundamentally, many employers, including most healthcare employers, pay for these group services on the premise that a good EFAP program will ensure a healthier employee and their family, which will translate into more productivity. And done well, the program should pay for itself and provide the proverbial return on investment. The question many might ask, however, is whether these programs make good on their promise. Do they truly make a difference, both to employees and their families, and to the employer? And if EFAPs have changed in their century of existence, do they need to change again, especially in a post-COVID health system, which has disrupted so much? To discuss this, I'm very pleased to be joined today by Steve Ashton, Vice President of People and Organizational Development at IWK Health Centre in Halifax, which serves women and children and youth in Atlantic Canada. Prior to the IWK, Steve held senior HR leadership roles with Bell Alliant, where he helped develop a multi-year learning strategy as well as leadership development and succession programs. He was previously a partner with Knightsbridge Robertson Surratt, working in executive search and career transition, and he has a wealth of education that includes a bachelor's in psychology and MBA, and as a graduate of Harvard's program on leading change and organizational renewal. I know from my many conversations with Steve that he is a dedicated leader committed to helping others grow and learn, whether through teaching, mentoring, or sitting on the boards of the Workers' Compensation Board of Nova Scotia and Nova Scotia Health Employees Pension Plan. Steve cares a lot about people and making a real difference in this world. So welcome, Steve, and welcome to the HQ. Thank you, Dale. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Great to see you again, and thank you for joining us today. So, so Steve, perhaps we could start with some background for everyone. I mean, how good were my Google skills? Ah, not bad. Um, no, you certainly got the uh, uh, the career path and, and how I got to where I am today, and it, it really was a, a pretty straightforward path from education into uh, executive search into broader HR, um, leadership development work, and and finally here with uh, the IWK, where I'm responsible for the uh, the uh, human resources and people strategy. Great. So, 
Um, in terms of um, EFAPs, um, you know, in your words, why do they exist? Yeah, I think for you know, a number of reasons. I think you hit on on a lot of them, Dale. I mean, it started at a point in time where I mean, I think the 30s is a is a time when a lot of change was occurring in the way we think of the social safety net and the importance of taking care of workers. Um, I mean, we can think of it from you know the traditional health and safety perspective of you know mining disasters and other industrial accidents, which drove you know unions and employees and 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 hopefully uh, some forward-thinking employers to saying that we needed to protect our, our workforce. And EFAPs really comes from that. It's a perspective of understanding that the impact of our work world um, on people and vice versa, they bring their whole selves to the workplace. And so you can't separate the two. And to that degree, at least enough people felt it was important to support the health and wellness of their employees, knowing that that was good for both work and the workplace and and uh, and relationships and productivity and all the other reasons you know keeping absenteeism down you know there's always a business case there but i think it's also hopefully a reflection on a broader societal responsibility that as employers we actually impact the workers who work for us and they take that home with them just as much as they bring their home life to to the workplace so i think that's a lot of where it came from i mean at its best it's it's a progressive program that organizations believe strongly in and utilize well you know, maybe at, uh, in your most pessimistic, it's um, it's guilt reduction uh, for some organizations who feel that at least they're doing something um, and can say that they're doing something for their employees, whether they're utilizing it or promoting it well or not. Uh, but I, I'm I'm sort of more the eternal optimist. I'd like to think that it's it's the benevolent and and caring uh, side as to why we do this. Uh, but yeah, I think and and as you say, it's evolved over the years. I mean, it still includes some of those traditional pieces like. You know the the psychological support um, for people who are going through challenges at home or at work, whether that's conflict in the workplace, you know, uh, divorce or financial difficulties. Uh, we often see legal uh, as being a a high reason for people calling EFAP. Mm-hmm. And and then there's the broader sort of you know the really more emerging side of it, certainly on the psychological side, but also just in the whole the whole health and well-being uh, side of things, and actually considering people as their whole selves. Um, so it is an evolving uh, business and, and hopefully continue to evolve as we work closely with them in partnership. Thanks for that. So, I mean, just out of curiosity, I mean, what do they cost the health system? Um, I mean, you can't maybe tell exactly what they cost I, IWK, but I mean, just in an order of, of estimates. Yeah, it's it's a really good point. Um, I mean, I can't even tell you exactly what we're paying right now. I haven't looked at it recently and we're part of a provincial purchasing plan now. So, um, but mm-hmm. you you're, you basically are paying your EFAP provider uh, a certain fee per employee who has access to it. And so you decide who's in and who's out, um, whether it's just full-time employees or whether you include your casuals um, and other parts. I mean, that's an important conversation. Um, there's a cost to it and people make decisions as to who's in and who's out. Um, so yeah, there are different variations in it. But you know, it's it's not a small investment, but it's also when you do the math on the business case, um, there actually is a pretty good ROI on it, um, although I don't know if many organizations do the analysis to the degree they should. Fair. So, yeah, I mean, there's a cost if you're having people off sick or taking yeah. extended uh, short term or long term leave because they've um, struggled through things and haven't been, I guess, uh, supported. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and you're right. I mean, it it affects their ability to show up to work. It show, it, you know, if they are showing up to work, it can impact the way they're showing up. I mean, somebody who's dealing with a significant conflict at home and 
doesn't feel they have anywhere to turn or anywhere for support, um, you know, aren't showing up as their full selves. It may also be resulting in conflict in the workplace, you know, mm -hmm. loss of productivity, et cetera. So again, I don't think it's too hard for organizations to go and do the math on it. Um, but to your point, it's, it costs money um, and not every organization is, uh, is involved. Okay. So, um, I mean, when it, it, over your history, perhaps, I mean, in, in your, your career, how do you have, have, how have you seen them evolve and change? Yeah, it, it's interesting. Certain things I, I'm seeing, certainly the conversations we're having with the FAP providers, and I'll say specifically for the one that we deal with directly, um, is a firm that I've had experience with both here and at Bell Alliant. Um, I mean, you know, the large firms are definitely thinking about the evolution of of the service and 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 wanting to be on that leading edge. Um, it depends on a number of things, though. Um, I mean, if I think about the evolution, the earliest days, um, it was a you know it was a one eight hundred number that people can phone and mm -hmm. have a conversation with a, a counselor or at least an intake counselor, um, and then be directed towards you know either some basic online services as as that's evolved over the years. Um, or, you know, a referral to support. Uh, and it's evolved, I think, to a certain degree, certainly a lot more online, a lot more digital. Um, you're starting to see it shift towards, um, uh, you know, even virtual these days. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the better ones are starting to move to the point where, you know, it was always virtual in the sense of, you know, you had the 1-800 number, it was 24-7, uh, and you could reach out at any time from anywhere because it was basically phone-based. But you're starting to see video, you're starting to see text be introduced to it. Um, and also as the online piece evolves, access to more tools, videos, um, you know, online. So that's kind of the evolution we're seeing as we are with everybody who's using the internet for, for services. But the bigger piece is, you know, what are some of the add-ons that that organizations who provide EFAP services are looking at? You know, in our case, you know, we've had conversations with, you know, things like what are the analytic uh, capabilities? Um, because it is a confidential service, we we don't and shouldn't know who's phoning EFAP. I mean, that's one of the benefits of having a third party do it. But from our end, they can provide us if they're if they've got good analytics behind the scenes, and they're actually care enough to look at the stats and 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 do some breakdowns and analyze. You know, we get a pretty robust quarterly review, for example, from our provider. Um, we can look at the utilization rate. We can look at um, the number of callers per month. We can look at why they're calling. So they do a lot of that intake at the front end and they can help us understand a bit about what's driving the volumes. Um, so I find that really helpful. And again, it really is up to both the firm you're, you're working with, whether they're providing you that data, but there's a big onus on the employer too, to actually look at that data and actually have a conversation with your provider to see what insights you can gain because they won't only just look at your data, but they can hopefully benchmark it against other clients. Yeah. And and certainly, I mean, if you're working with a large organization with a lot of clients, there is some power in to be able to compare yourself against others in your industry or others, you know, in your country. Um, because, you know, you're not a, I mean, no organization is an island unto itself. There are factors in the community that could be affecting it or the factors in your industry that could be impacting it that you actually don't have control over. So it's, it's it, again, depending on the firm, if you've got one that can give you the analytics and, and are willing to sit and talk with you about them, I think mm -hmm. that's worth its weight in gold. Would it get sort of aggregated up to like a person's calling in or not at an individual level, but, you, you know, around uh, marital problems or uh, absolutely problems with their children or conflict at work or 
things yeah. like that, that those are the kinds of things you'd be hearing about absolutely i mean i'll i'll speak only to the to the firm that we work with but they definitely provide that kind of a breakdown um so they you know so you do find out you know are they calling because it's work conflict i mean that's really important is it workplace mm -hmm. related or is it home related um so we get that and then you you do get the breakdown as to the what types of issues is it you know is it um you know stress at home is it financial is it legal is it um family related is it elder care or child mm -hmm. care that's driving it and why that's helpful to us is we can then look within our own organization to find out what kind of supports can we put in place to help address those. So if it's financial um, stress, you know, while EFAP can provide some baseline supports, we also might want to try putting some financial planning courses on for, uh, you know, seminars. So we've done some work, for example, with our, our main banker to come in and do financial planning. Uh, it's meant to be, you know, not an advertisement for the, for the bank, but it's meant to be, you know, general information. But and same thing with retirement planning, uh, with with our pension plan coming in and doing um, re pre-retirement um, sessions. I mean, all those things may be beneficial to helping address issues you're seeing pop up in your EFAP stats. So it really is. It's a lens. It's a confidential lens into um, into what your workplace or your workforce is identifying as issues. And uh, I think that's a really important tool to have. Yeah. So you can go from sort of a reactive, I guess, set of supports, right, to ones that inform your proactive resources and other supports that support people going forward. And um, yeah, it's 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 an interesting use of the data. And I think it's it, it tells a, where the potential return on that kind of investment could be as well. Yeah, I mean, I could flip that around for you for a moment. I mean, one of the conversations we had over COVID, um, which I know is key piece of the conversation we end up having when we talk about, you know, um, health and wellness and particularly psychological health and wellness. You know, one of the things that we were able to track immediately on our reports was to see what the utilization rate, and we would have thought, I think as most people would, when COVID hit, you would have expected that the EFAP usage would have gone up. And what happened with us, it was just the opposite. We saw a drop over, you know, a couple of years significantly um, but that triggered a conversation with our EFAP provider to ask them, you know, why do you think this is happening? What are you seeing? Let's go inside the the analytics and see if there's something shifting. And then also with our OCK Health Department, which is also a really a really key partner in this whole conversation, you know, what are they seeing and hearing on the ground, and try to you know sort of correlate that information. And you know what we saw was, first of all, having a national provider. They were able to give us a sense that what we were seeing was not unique to our organization or our industry across Helpful. the board with their client base they all saw a decline in efap and we were all trying to get inside that because you would think that would be a point when people needed help the second piece of it though is we were able to correlate that with what we saw as a massive uptick in calls to oc health and for us what what we discovered was occupational health was becoming the replacement for EFAP. So where EFAP may be seen as third party, sort of arm's length, you can call them for general issues. What COVID did was drive people directly to, I need PPE to protect myself um, and to protect my family when I go home. Um, so immediately all the questions are related to very much workplace issues. Um, and I think that's where we started to see a shift in, okay, the utilization is going down for a particular reason because they need different information coming from different places. That said, we could work with the EFAP provider, and I think most of them did this, to say we need way more 
information and way more support around COVID related questions. So what can you do to help us sort of fill out our, our online uh, toolkit um, and, uh, and remind people that they can also call you for this information? Because I think most people wouldn't have thought of EFAP as a place to go for COVID information. Um, but clearly for us, it was actually way more specific. What are we doing at the hospital? What are the rules uh, of engagement? How do I ensure I've got the right PPE? You know, um, I think it just was a sign of the times. But again, having that data allowed you to respond fairly quickly to the trending and uh, and try to address it by means of other tools. So this bring me to the other part of the question. I think you've touched on a little bit, but I mean, how has the FAP fared during COVID? I mean, we, we hear a lot and there's lots of discussion about, you know, the burnout and the challenges that our uh, healthcare workers are experiencing, understandably. And so given the mental strain and stresses that are coming with that, would, I guess, again, you would assume, right, that any FAP provider may be a great resource to help people through that. Has that correlated to, like, is that true or? No, I, I you know, right up to the most recent quarter, um, we've continued to see a decline in, in EFAP usage. And it, it hints to me that that doesn't seem to be the place that people are going to get their answers or, um, and I think we've had a lot of discussions, you know, across the industry about this. In healthcare, particularly, when we're in an emergent state, the last persons we think about are, are ourselves. And mm -hmm. so, you know, if you think about how we flipped into, you know, in March 2020, um, this immediate pivot toward fighting the pandemic, uh, I think a lot of our healthcare workers just stopped thinking about themselves and started pouring themselves into the crisis. And as that's gone on and, and we've had more and more conversations and started to try to focus more and more on the health and wellness of our workplace, you know, there may be a part of it, and this is just my guess, that folks will say, at some point, I might call the FAP, but right now I'm not sure that's going to, that they have any control over what's happening with the pandemic or the shortage of healthcare workers and some of the bigger systemic issues that we're trying to tackle right now. Um, so, you know, I would hope they're still, re I mean, obviously people are still calling them and I hope that they are reaching out when they're in crisis, when they need support, um, you know, when they are looking for coping strategies for themselves or their families. Um, because I still believe in the FAP as being a you know a really positive tool in the toolkit, but I think as we've talked, Dale, at the national level, there are a lot of systemic issues that we also have to tackle. The root causes of why people are in distress, mm -hmm. um, and uh, and I'm not sure EFAP can help them with that. They can help with coping strategies, but they won't necessarily be able to help them with the fact that you know half your team is out with COVID or exposures and they can't show up. So you're now working your third double shift, um, you know, because the health system's in crisis. Um, you know, I think that that's a guess, but I'm hoping as we continue to promote and we're doing some work with our organization now to start to bring some of the new uh, tools and services in and, and start to promote them. Um, I'm hoping we'll see an uptick again in that service. But again, they've also got to prove themselves to the employees and, uh, and, have a value proposition that makes sense to people. Yeah, well, I guess the concern, and, and I'm not sure if, if, I'm sure you're having discussions of this effect, right, about what a return to normal, whatever that will be, right, the, when, at least when we no longer define ourselves in crisis or in emergency, yes. um, and all of those 
you know, mental hurts and harms, right, start to come back out again, um, right? Is EFAP going to be a play a role in that, or is it is are we going to need something else? Yeah, well, I think you make a really good point. I mean, I think we would be remiss to believe that EFAP is the end all and be all, um, and that's why I keep referring to it as a tool in the toolkit. I mean, if I think of some of the things that we've been working on, and what I would say to augment it, um, you know, I know our own health team has been really innovative and they've worked with a number of other partners, including our own internal mental health and addictions team. I mean, the one thing in healthcare is we have a lot of great healthcare professionals around. Uh, it's not their job to take care of the employees. They've got patients and families to serve, but you do have that expertise in the room. So, you know, when I think of some of the things our OC health or our, or our mental health teams and others have really done some really cool innovative stuff and you know we introduced especially before COVID but we've reintroduced it since you know on-site physio and massage and on-site psychological uh, services where needed um, with partners who can come on site and actually deliver that in real time when people need it um, you know we started up a peer support program uh, which is still in its infancy but we talked to our friends at sick kids um, who really helped us think about how we could introduce a peer support program because at times, somebody doesn't want to talk to a stranger on the phone. They need to talk to somebody who is a healthcare practitioner or somebody who works in the organization who, while not necessarily a trained health professional, there's somebody that has been trained to coach and be able to talk through and understand what they're going through because they work in the same organization. So there's been lots of evidence that peer support is another tool you need in your toolkit. Mm -hmm. We've got, um, you know, critical incident debriefing is a huge important thing and our EFAP providers have supported us in that. We've also used spiritual care from time to time in that area. Um, mm -hmm. And we're also looking at, you know, sort of innovative program Swartz rounds is one that we're, we have a team looking at a pilot for that. And it's something that came out of NHS in the UK. So ways of doing critical incident debrief specifically within teams to help support them through, you know, crises. We've got a trauma-informed care team uh, here at the Hot Center that uh, has been extremely helpful in understanding things like compassion fatigue and our mental health team has also helped in doing things like uh, mindfulness sessions through the COVID crisis. Um, the other piece is, and we'll, I know we'll talk about this, you know, the whole lens of equity, diversity, inclusion, reconciliation, accessibility from our standpoint and how that has played into the psychological health and safety of our workforce um, is a whole other place to go. And I think, you know, if you talk about conversations we're having with our EFAP providers, you know, part of the question is how does that shape the kinds of solutions and services we provide? I can give you a small example of where where I think we did some really interesting work with our EFAP provider as a part of a solution. Mm -hmm. In June 2020, we'll all remember uh, the George Floyd affair and how that led to the Black Lives Matter movement and how it changed you know, in many ways, the conversations we're having in our organizations. In our particular case, um, we didn't want to just put a tweet out from leadership and say, you know, Black Lives Matter and there, we're done, on you go. We were, re were really, really conscious that this was a deeply um, important conversation to not just acknowledge, but actually move on. And so coming out of that, we ran a series of what we call the Black Lives Matter listening sessions for our staff of African descent. And in doing those listening sessions, it became very important as we worked with an external consultant and designed the sessions 
and recognizing with our trauma-informed care lens um, that this was going to be a deeply emotional conversation for that community and that to do it right, um, it should be Afrocentric in its design and be exclusive to who was in the room to the point where when we talked to our EFAP provider, the advice was, and you're going to want to make sure that whoever your counselors are from EFAP are of African descent and have lived experience that they can be the right people to talk to if somebody's having finds themselves in crisis or finds themselves needing support as they're going through these listening sessions. And there would be an example where partnering with our EFAP provider, we brought the EDRA lens into that conversation and talked about how the design of the service needs to be culturally appropriate. So I think of those as some of the leading edge, I, I hate to call it leading edge in this day and age, but I mean, those are some of the leading edge conversations we're trying to have with our EFAP provider to say, you know, one size doesn't fit all for all sorts of reasons. And this is a, you know, that cultural lens has to be one of the ones we bring to the services we're providing. I would say the same thing when we think about the work we're doing with our indigenous uh, community. Um, you know, if you think about all of the trauma that we've reflect on coming out of the truth and reconciliation um, report and the reflections on that, you know, we know we have to do things differently. And so again, a conversation with our EFE provider and our and we're looking at other other mental health supports. Um, you can ask yourself the questions and work with the communities to say, how might this service evolve so that this is something that everyone can feel comfortable using? If it's a, you know, if the FEP service is designed with a colonial mindset, as we would say, um, how might that not be helpful for certain people who may want to reach out and, and need the support, but don't feel that it's designed for them? So, you know, those would be some of the things I think are starting to shape our thinking in a much different way. That's really helpful. and. It, it sort of leads into the other question for me is about, you know, I mean, you say you're doing it. So just instructions or suggestions in terms of how other organizations might sort of find ways to partner with EFAPs and really what is the what is the ask? I mean, what where do we need them to go that they may not be going on their own or what is the future for EFAPs? Yeah, I mean, I think they've got a huge value to play and, and as a as a valued partner at the table. I mean, I mentioned a couple of things that I think I find really valuable. One is, you know, if it's a good organization and it really wants to be a leader in its field, it's doing research and it's and is reviewing the research that's out there. It's mm -hmm. evolving their services. They're they're listening to the people who are calling them. They're talking to their clients and understanding what needs to change and shift. Um, you know, they're on top of the key issues. I mean, again, in healthcare right now, you know presumptive PTSD um, is a huge issue that we're going to see um, requiring an enormous amount of support. So what role can the FAP provide in both the preventive side of that? We hope mm -hmm. that they'll be a key partner in that. But also, if we do end up with individuals who end up being diagnosed with PTSD, can the FAP even be part of the support going forward, especially through return to work, uh, and be a resource that people can reach out to um, as they try to come back into the workplace. So, you know, those I think are conversations that not only we would put to them, but I would really like them to bring to us as well. Um, it truly is, it truly can be and should be a partnership. But again, I, I do say, you know, if I go to my, my dark side, um, I do think at times uh, employers don't think enough about it and don't treat it as a partnership. They think of it as, as one more tick in the tick box of, of guilt reduction. 
And I said, I'm hoping there's very few who think of it that way, or, or maybe even don't consciously think of that way. But it can be one of those things you just, oh, we provide EFAP, aren't we a great organization? And leave it at that and don't even think about it. So I would just encourage everyone to think of them as partners. And, you know, ultimately, if you're not getting what you need out of your current provider, um, I mean, I think it behooves all of us to continue to do, um, check out what other organizations are doing and 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 what your other peers in the industry are doing. And, and if there's uh, other providers who are more advanced, then go talk to them. I would, that raises another question for me in terms of how do healthcare organizations share this knowledge, I guess, amongst themselves in, in some respects, because I mean, you're, you're one organization, there are hundreds of hospitals and organizations your size across the country, thousands of healthcare organizations that are all utilizing EFAPs. So where's the capacity to share in the, those learnings and those opportunities to perhaps move the dial together? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, uh, I think, you know, from many conversations we've had, um, we can be in lonely spots in our organizations and we often don't know who our peers are or don't know who to reach out to. So I, mean, I think one way to do it is through whether it's through national conferences or national associations or peer groups that can be set up. Um, I mean, I, I've never been afraid to pick up the phone and call a, a, a colleague and ask them. Um, you know, that's one way I think I would do it. I mean, I, and I gave an example when we were looking at, at doing research on peer support programs, you know, it became obvious that Sick Kids was one of the leaders in the country with this. So we phoned them up. And they were, you know, I think, especially in the HR community, we'll always say, we're always willing to share um, practices and, and advice. Um, it's one of the things that I love about the profession. You know, it's not a, you know, in our business, it's not, um, you know, an intellectual capital issue or, a, or, a, or a, you know, we're not trying to protect a financial interest. Um, we're usually pretty good at sharing um, ideas. So, you know, I give kudos to sick kids. We'll hopefully pass on information to our colleagues and friends as we're talking to them. But I think to your point, Dale, um, I think we need to go to conferences. I think we need to talk to our peers through associations and other networks um, and do that. And there may be, you know, roles for, for national nonprofits and organizations to actually help do some research or do some some polls from time to time. I'd have to go back and look at Conference Board, for example, to see if they've done a recent uh, survey on EFAP programs. But you know, those would be a few suggestions. So, 90 years. Do you see another 90 years for EFAPs? I mean, do they will they continue to play the same role in our healthcare organizations or our larger, I guess, corporate structures going forward, or will their time come and go, or will things change? I think a lot of it depends on them. Um, I mean, like any industry, um, you're only as good as the value you provide your customers. And if they feel that they're getting value for money and that there's a return on the investment, um, then then you've got a business to to be in. And so, you know, I think and, and because it is a, a, you know, a private sector competitive business, I think that does behoove competition and innovation and and tries to drive organizations out to each other. Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful that they will be in business. For another 90 years i think there is a place for them um you know your alternatives are to build that capacity internally and mm -hmm. i'm not sure you know i'm not sure how many organizations have the scope size scale um and sophistication to be able to build an internal efap program that could provide what a good national player could do it would take an immense amount of resources so to that end i think there is value um in in the industry and there's a place to be how the service will evolve, I think, is a very different question. And that becomes 
you know, conversations with, again, the employers to say, how much can you and should you do internally versus how much do you outsource? And, um, you know, the, that may differ from different groups, um, but I think certainly for, for people who are, want to really think about where we can take this relationship as it relates to the wellness of our workforce, um, I'm encouraged that I think providers can start to offer additional services, uh, especially for those smaller employers who can't afford it. And they can partner and work with larger organizations to be an integrated part of their overall health and wellness strategy. Um, and from that, they're gonna learn as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would say if I was going into the business, I'd be fairly optimistic that there's a role to play. However, I can also say that I've seen other comparable industries almost disappear or the value proposition disappear. And yeah, it could happen. And I'll just throw this out. I mean, I used to, as you mentioned early in my bio, at one point work in a business that did career counseling. And in the 90s, when I was involved in that, I mean, that business really came up through the 80s and into the 90s. And it was there as a, a service to either individual employees or, or whole groups of employees who might be affected with job loss. Mm -hmm. And there was a point in time where that industry was very lucrative. It uh, the price point was was very profitable um, because it was highly intensive and and needed a lot of high touch and care. I, you know, since I left that industry, I've seen it disappear in some cases down to you know because most people feel that employees when they're when they lose their job have lots of tools on the internet and all sorts of other ways to find jobs, so they don't need the support anymore. And so, you know, I would say while that industry still exists at some to some degree, it's nowhere near what it used to be. So, you know, there are lessons there for EFAP to say, if you want to stay in business and you want it to continue to be a value-added service, you've got to continue to evolve and and, and make sure there's a good value proposition. But all that to say, they can be a valuable partner in our wellness strategy. Yeah, and I think you've provided a lot of really great examples in terms of how that can evolve, and and it's a I think it's a great way for us to sort of finish the 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 conversation here today. But um, but that there are you know there's a partnership opportunity for uh, these service providers to look at. I guess as the industry continues to change, as you develop your own skills and tools and other resources to find ways to complement that, not sort of to be the be all and end all. I think that's been a a big takeaway for me from our conversation today, but that there's um, huge opportunities for them to pivot and 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 grow with us um, and our needs going forward. Absolutely. And I think likewise, I mean, that same onus is on us as employers. I mean, the other side of that equation is, you know, we really, if, you know, if we talk about the larger challenge we have in healthcare about, a, you know, trying to help a, a workforce that's been worn down two years of a pandemic and we're already signaling that they were worn down before we hit the pandemic i mean i think we all share that concern that if we don't have a a strategy about how we're going to support that workforce how we're going to you know address issues like you know i mean spans of control issues workload issues inability to take vacation issues respectful workplace issues violence in the workplace those aren't going away um so there are a myriad of issues that we're going to need to you know work on to ensure we're Places that people want to come to, want to stay in, um, feel valued, um, feel safe, um, and uh, yeah, we've got our work cut out for us at the employer end alone. I would be um, remiss if I didn't try to identify other partners that can help us in that journey. 
Yeah, well, and I know it was that was my last question, but but I guess part of I guess what I I wonder as well is that I guess if our workplaces are also continuing to change, and you know you know organizations are partially or parts of organizations thinking about hybridized work or working from home, mm. if the workspace changes. And as our generations change as well, different people coming into our workforce that perhaps have different values, different skills, different needs. I mean, how does that impact, I guess, EFAP usage or utilization or, or part of its own transformation going forward? Yeah, I mean, in some ways it's it's a good thing because, you know, EFAP didn't have to evolve in a remote or hybrid work environment. I mean, they were available anytime. 24/7 from however you want to get there. Most of them, I would say, you can you can reach out to on your on your phone mm -hmm. or through your iPad or through you know. So the good news is that they were already there. They were already 24/7. They were already virtual, um, and a lot of the tools they had were virtual. So if I shifted from being working from you know the office to working from home full time through COVID, that service was still there and available to me. Um, I think the other piece would be, to your other point, as the workforce changes, I think we started to touch on, you've got to have a EFAP provider that I think needs to be able to be culturally competent, be able to deliver services in different languages, um, you know, continue to educate itself on all sorts of leading topics, um, you know, whether it's anti-racism and microaggression, um, whether it's understanding trauma-informed care and the impact of, you know, um, what we've done to our indigenous African Nova Scotian populations, our immigrant populations. Um, if it's going to be a service for all, um, they've got to evolve that as well. Um, so, you know, there's some things that they're going to be really good at. There's some things they're going to need to continue to evolve in. And, uh, you know, again, if it's the right partner and, and it's the right employer, I think they can probably do some wonderful things together. Oh, I, I like that as a finishing point too, Steve. Thank you. So um, it, it does sound like, you know, there's been a lot of great work that's happened over the last 90 years and, and even during COVID, but there is work still to be done. But I think you're a great example of what can be done when an organization um, and its HR leaders partner um, in the best interest of the organization and its employees. So thank you for sharing today. No, greatly appreciate the opportunity. Hey, you take care. All right. You too, Dale. You've been listening to The HQ, and I'm Dale Sherbeck, your host. You can find this and other future episodes on the CHA Learning website, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. We'd love to hear what you think, so please follow us on our other social media channels. Thanks for joining us in this discussion today. Please join us next time.